This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Tuesday's episode, everybody. Milo told me he hates me on Tuesday night, and I'm just now recovering. Also, I was asking, is four years old about the average time that, like my dogs? I can't. I can't. Sorry about that. I have to tell them to go in their house and then roll my chair, my computer chair, as if I'm getting up to go put them in their house and then they run into their house. But it's because people are snow blowing their driveways and they don't like that. What I was saying was, I was wondering, you know, he's never said that before. Obviously, he picks up these things at school because he's never said things like, I hate you, or I don't like you, or I want to be alone, or what else does he say? You're being rude. Like, it's just strange, you know? And so I know he's picking up this language at school. So last Tuesday was the, I hate you. And I knew it was going to come eventually. I just didn't know it was going to come so soon. But apparently my DMs are flooded with people saying like, yep, four years old, four years old. That's when my child started saying it. So yeah, it's just rough, you know? Like you think about how much you love this little human and how much you do for them and just how much you have completely just changed your life in order to accommodate them and make them the happiest possible little thing. And then they're like, I hate you. I'm like, oh my God. And then of course I'm thinking about all the mean things I've ever said to my mom as a child. And I'm like, oh my God, what did she do? Go to her room and cry? Like she probably did. It's freaking, oh my God, parenting is nuts. Anywho, today I am speaking with somebody who totally understands how nuts parenting is. She has more kids than the Toronto Raptors have on the basketball court at any given time. That's right. She has six kids. They are all grown now. I believe the youngest was 13. So she tells us what it's like as they get older. And it actually sounds kind of exciting. Actually, I should say she has seven kids because her seventh child is Mabel's Labels. She is the co-creator and founder of Mabel's Labels. They're all over Milo's stuff. As soon as he started going to daycare, it was like, oh my God, we need to have his name on every everything. And her labels make that so easy. They have a stamp for clothes. I've just been a fan for a long time. So check out Mabel's labels. If you too are losing things or if your school or daycare are like, you need to label everything. It just makes it so easy and they're so cute. And your child can pick the design that they want on the label. But anyways, we're not talking about labels today. We're talking about motherhood. And I was fascinated to hear her story about what her transition into motherhood was like, because it's not what we typically hear on this podcast. So enjoy this episode. She is such a pleasure to talk to. I've met her a few times in person and I just love her energy. So without further ado, guys, oh my God, did I even say her name yet? I'm speaking with Julie Cole. Most of you are probably like, I know who you're speaking to because Mabel's labels, but I'm so sorry. I'm speaking with none other than Julie Cole. So welcome her to the mom room. What a professional I am. Oh my gosh. 
Today I'm speaking with Julie Cole. I've had the pleasure of meeting her a few times, which is exciting. I love that I get to meet so many cool people. So here she is. She had a fall. So let's explain why your wrist. Yeah, c'est dommage. That means, that means I'm so sad, I think, in French. C'est dommage. Yes, I had a fall. Oh, so dumb. I was just on my driveway. It was icy. And I went down and I did my wrist in and my face is so, this is why I'm like, I'm not generally like dressed or like a glamour queen when I do podcasts anyway, but I just felt I should give a little background information as to why I look like this. <laughs> so the last time I fell, do you do it this regularly? so quickly. <laughs> no, okay. no, but I took Milo skating a couple weeks ago and it was his first time like being on the ice. And I used to figure skate when I was little. So I was like, oh, no problem. Like, we'll go skating. I'm comfortable on skates. And so he obviously was falling, falling, falling. But he was really good at, like, getting back up and going. And one time he went to fall. And I held on to his jacket or something. And he pulled me down. My head snapped back. But I was able to catch my head before it hit the ice. Because I wasn't wearing a helmet. Didn't even think about it. And... After that, I was terrified. And my husband's like, you're not getting back on the ice until you get a proper helmet because it happens so fast. You know what? It is so interesting you said that because like literally I was on the ground. I'm like, how did I get here? Like, I don't eat, like, I was like, I was just down and it, yeah, so fast. And then of course, like, honestly, total ridiculousness. Like I get up and I come inside and I'm not, I'm like, oh, this hurts. First thing I do though, is go to make sure I have no speaking engagements or any <laughs> appearances this week before I check to how I, see how I'm doing physically. And I'm like, oh good. I only have podcasts and writing to yeah. do. Oh my God. <laughs> Cause I have radio phase. You're like, I just fell. Hold on. Let me check my schedule. Like exactly. Yeah. Or the other thing would be like, oh, is my phone broken? Yeah, right? exactly. That's so funny. But you know, I've done, I've been doing a little bit of unpacking around this fall, actually, because it really made me consider a few things, which was one, I was really embarrassed about the fall. And like, I just was like, I hope nobody saw me. I got up probably too fast. And I thought, what, like, what is that about? Like, why am I embarrassed? Like, I know people do, like kids get embarrassed, especially if they're in high school, if they do something, like if they have a fall or whatever. But I'm like, why do we do that as a culture? Like, why do we make people feel embarrassed? Or why do we, what's going on there? So there's that. And then the other thing is I've been like masking up a lot and wearing stuff because I don't want to see anyone to see my face. And it's because I feel like I look like I've been hit mm. and I feel like I'm carrying the shame around of somebody who's been hit. And then it made me think about how do women who are living in domestic violence, like I felt the shame and I'm like, why are they feeling shame? And yet I felt it and I'm not even living it. So I'm I'm doing a lot of unpacking with what's going on with my face. When I had my wisdom teeth removed, I bruised like a peach. And I was yellow and like black and blue for so long. And I had the exact same feelings. Now, this was before people wore masks. And I had the exact same feeling. I'd be walking around Walmart or something thinking like, oh, my God. Like, I wonder if people think. Like, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm not doing the help me sign. I'm good. I know, but it really made me think about women who are, yeah, so a whole bunch of things. You know, you think about, like, I remember reading recently about a man who was at a party, 
and he was at a restaurant and he was having a problem choking, like he was choking. And he went to the bathroom and died alone instead of asking for help because we get embarrassed ask because we need help. What is going on, Renee? That is actually very common with choking and also having an allergic reaction. <gasps> really? Like people at a restaurant or something like that and they, yeah, they start to have a reaction like their throat is closing and they leave the restaurant or they go, like you said, go into the bathroom because they're embarrassed. Right. And and it's not like anyone, like I've, you know, I've seen people get hurt and I just go help them. Like, I don't think anything less of them. I'm like, like nobody does. So why do we do that to ourselves? It's like a weird human thing. But then I was talking to a friend about it and I was saying how like I want to cover up because my face and he was just like, wow, I've just never like, you know, I got hit at hockey or whatever and I just walk around and I was like, so you never worry that your face looks and he's like, no. So I'm like, so this is a woman thing. Oh yeah. I'm sure guys are like, sweet. I look like I play hockey. <laughs> I don't, you get, I mean, you can imagine how many times I've said, oh, you should see the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> My kids roll their eyes constantly every time. I love that. Oh, there we go. Okay, the first question that I usually ask people who are mothers on the podcast is what was your transition into motherhood like? Now, I know most of your kids are older. Most of our listeners have young children. So this will be an interesting conversation for people to hear. So take us back to when you first became a mom and what was that like for you? Where were you at in your life? Were you expecting everything that happened and so on? Right. Okay. So I was actually at law school. I had spent a lot of time at school. I'd done my undergrad. I'd done a master's degree. I met daddy at grad school and then he went on to work full time and I went back to law school. And then we were like, hey, let's have a kid. And I wanted four kids, he's one of five kids, and we always thought, you know, we might like a bigger sized family. So then, you know, we pulled the goalie. You know, I'm very lucky in that I get pregnant very easily. And so I got pregnant, and then I had my little guy, McGinnis, and I'm gonna say something really, really, really annoying right now. It was, I, I found it really easy. Yeah, with your first? I did, I found it, he was very easy. But I have to also say that I had real issues with my milk and he did reach failure to thrive. And he, so we had to, we had some feeding issues, but the problem, and I didn't know this at the time is you think a baby will cry when they're hungry. Eventually they get too lethargic. So they, they don't actually cry. So I was getting, he was getting weighed every day. And if I, I felt I was in such a place of privilege because I can remember once when I was in grad school at NYU, I was living in New York city and there was a news item that came out about this baby who had starved to death. And I was super judgy. And I was like, how could a mother, you know, let their, how could they not know? And honestly, if I hadn't been in a situation where my baby was getting weighed every day or I was supported and I had been educated, my baby could have starved to death. So it was a real learning for me. But needless to say, he didn't cry a lot. But once we got him, you know, feeding correctly and he was putting on weight, it was, it was a very very great experience for me. He, you know, would come to law school with me. Like I just baby wear him to class and stuff like that. So I had a really, really nice experience with him. My issue was that when he was three months old, I fell pregnant again right away. And I was a little shocked about that. And I ended up losing that baby. And I ended up then feeling really guilty because I was like, I want now, by the time like I went for the ultrasound, now I want it. I had wrapped my, my head around having Irish twins. 
And then so after that loss, we were like, a month later, we're like, yeah, let's get pregnant again. And I, this is where I, I'm going to say the annoying thing is that, and it's so ridiculous, but I actually was happier with two because I felt like one was a little bit boring. <laughs> I know that's so ridiculous. But I love I this. I, I actually love this because so often we hear the opposite. Well, especially on this podcast because that's not my experience. How old were you when you had your first? My first, I was probably, look, I would have got married at like 27. I was probably like 28, 29. And then I had Posey on International Women's Day just after I turned 30, like three days after I turned 30. And they're, and they're 15 months apart. So, and in a way, like, I, I, you know, then I had one 20 months later. Like, I, I packed them in tight and whatever. So it was busy and all that. But I do think in a way, like, it was easier in that, like, you have to be, like, Renee, you got, you, like, people who have singletons, it's all on you. Whereas, like, you know, my babies would just kind of putter around together and like go to the park and putter around together. And like, they just, they, and they just, I never had to play with anyone. Like they <laughs> had people to play with, right? Like, so in some ways, I mean, obviously I didn't sleep for 10 years. I was pushing around a triple stroller, blah, blah, blah. But in some ways there were a lot of benefits and it made it easier for me. Do you think there are things about your personality that made that kind of lifestyle easier for you? Like, for example, I didn't sleep last night and today I'm like, you know what I mean? Like, are you able to function without sleep? Are you just like... Right. So, yeah, I think that that's what it comes down to, right? And I don't think there's any right personality or wrong personality or truth. I just, like, if you... If you don't have the capacity or like it's not your thing or you care, you get tired, like don't go and have six freaking kids. Like then you'd be an idiot. There's no right or wrong number of kids. I had a few things going for me. My babies were dead easy. I don't think I ever paced with a child. I never had a colicky baby. I never vomited through a pregnancy. If any of those things happened, I'd have been one and done. Like I could not bear being sick and I could not bear having a child who cried or even had a witching hour and I had none of that. So that, you know, that makes a huge impact. And obviously I have a high threshold for chaos, right? Like I don't get, you know, having a messy house or getting like the kids not being perfect or making perfect meals. Like I never put a whole lot of pressure on myself around that stuff. I did around their development and their education and I've got a couple neurodiverse kids. So that's probably, you know, really why. But yeah, I mean, you just, you, you just got to do what works for you. And there's no right or wrong or perfect, but you certainly have to have a, a certain kind of temperament to be able to, you know, do this kind of life and not go crazy, right? How old is your youngest now? So Finian is 13. So I am on easy street. Like, you know, there, I've got three at university, two in high school, one at the end of grade eight, right? So, and you know, for everyone who's listening and they say bigger kids, bigger problems, baloney, you're in the hard part. Like, you're in the hard part. Like, I, 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 I drink my tea and it's still hot. Like, I sit down and have dinner. I don't have crusts for lunch. I go to bed when I'm tired and they set their alarms to get up in the morning for school. Of course, I get up with them, but... You know what? They they make their own lunches. They do their own laundry. You also, when you have a lot of them, and my friends with Singletons really try hard to do this too because they have to remind themselves, is like, 
you know, I need them to be independent. I need them to be able to do things for themselves. So I know a lot of my friends, Renee, like you, would be like, okay, I know it's easier for me to do it for him, but I'm not going to. I'm just, I'm going to get him to do it and it's going to take us longer to get out of the house because, you know, short-term, easy, long-term, hard, all that stuff, right? But, you know, when you have so many of them, you don't have a lot of choice around, you know, creating those in, that independence because you just can't put on six people's pairs of shoes every time you walk <laughs> out of the house. I mean, I had five in car seats at once, Renee. Like, it what? took me half an hour. Yeah. Like, I remember picking up Milo from daycare some days, and I had to go get one of the teachers and be like, can you help me? And Did he do the arch? Did he do the, <laughs> oh, yeah. the back arch? Oh, yeah. I'd be, like, so embarrassed. Like, I'm FaceTiming my husband in the car. Like, he won't get in his car seat. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, the Timbits aren't yeah. working. Like, teacher, can you please help me? And then, of course, he gets in for the teacher when they come over. Of but course. I can't yeah. imagine, yeah. like, five kids in a car seat. You'd have to leave, like, two hours early. <laughs> I know. But you know what? It's funny because you do practical things. Like, I bought a car that... The only reason I bought this particular car was because they had seatbelt extenders, which meant the kids in boosters could do up their own seatbelts. And that was my sole purpose for buying that kind of vehicle, because it meant two of the kids could do themselves up. And then I only had to do three up. So, I mean, these are the things that you, but it's funny, that reminds me, I'll, I'll, most hilarious story. So I'm taking my kids to swimming lessons. I've got it like an Clancy's probably an infant, Jessamy's like 17 months. The others are like three, five, and six. So we go to swimming lessons. I got the double stroller, blah, blah, blah. I bring all the PJs so that after the swimming lessons, I can put them on their, in their PJs. And we run into a, a friend of my mom's, like, so a grandma age, and she's there with, like, her husband and her daughter and the daughter's husband, and there were one toddler who's going for swimming lessons. And, you know, I'd see them at swimming lessons, great catch-up. And then my mom ran into her friend at the grocery store, and she says, oh, it's so embarrassing. Every time we run into Julie, she's there with those five kids, putting them in swimming, and it takes four adults to do this <laughs> one toddler. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it's all what you're used to. And honestly, like, because people are like, oh, my God, six. It's like, they did come one at a time, right? Like, you do get used to it. And it's not, like, when you're just doing the do. Like, like kind of the thing, like, you're already not sleeping. You're already, got like, this deep in diapers. You're already packing up loads of crap in the car whenever you go somewhere. So it's it doesn't get twice or three times or four times as hard. I lie. The second kid, I think people feel. That's, That's what I've know. heard. That's what I've heard. Yeah. yeah. I loved this having the second, but I think that is the hardest transition because I think a lot of people, you know, you think about what you gave your first and you want to get, and there's no way you're going to be able to give your second everything you gave your first. And then you feel bad for your first because suddenly you're cutting into their time. So I think you have to manage a lot of that. Oh, this is a completely different experience, but whatever. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there, and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume 
consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Lil Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. I was reading your book and you were talking about how eventually you left law. So I wanted you to talk about that experience. Like how many kids did you have at that time? What made you decide to leave your career as a lawyer? And then how you got the idea to start Mabel's Labels? Like, what was the timeline of all that happening? Yeah, for sure. So I did my articles while I was pregnant with my third. And I think when Spencer was about, I want us to have been called just around the time they were born. And that was fine. So then what happened was around the time Spencer was born, Mac, my eldest, was about to turn three. And we were noticing some stuff with him. He seemed to have some skills and he was losing them. And then, you know, I was kind of like, well, you know, lots of change, a sibling, now another sibling. And he is a boy. And, you know, I was kind of doing all that. But then my mom and my mother-in-law kind of sat me down and they're like, we're a little concerned about this guy. And I, and I remember saying to them, you sat me down the day before my third C-section. You know I'm having a baby tomorrow, right? And they're like, we know, but we need to have this conversation. I was like, okay, yeah, no, absolutely. So then the week after I had the baby, I uh, got, you know, a bunch of assessments done on my little guy and he got a a diagnosis of autism. And by that time he was three years and three months. So at that point, I really just felt like I really needed to advocate for him. I needed to set up, a, I wanted to set up a very intensive therapy program for him, wanted to set him up for success. I had a lot of reading to do. I needed to do a lot of research. 
And I just at that point was like, I don't think the traditional workforce is going to suit my life anymore. You know, like this is just not going to work. And, you know, I already had the idea and been talking about the idea of Mabel's Labels with three girlfriends of mine. Actually, one's my sister. One is my sister-in-law, my brother's wife. And one actually is a friend from university who married my young uncle. So we were all friends and all relatives. And so when Matt got diagnosed and everybody was kind of in the thick of babies and on mat leaves or going back and dropping kids at daycare, it was kind of, it was mayhem for everyone. And uh, I was like, what do you, what do you guys think? Like, is now the time to, to try and bring this idea to fruition? And they were just like, yeah, let's do it. So we started Mabel's Labels. It'll be 20 years ago in March. That's crazy. Yeah. And we started, you know, making labels in my sister's basement till two o'clock in the morning. And then they'd be going to their traditional jobs or doing their mat leaves. Or I'd get home and get up to my three kids at 6 a.m. and do the day, do the day, do the talk. You want to talk about default parenting? Because also, like for me, I... I also love being the default parent. Like, I love it. And I know I'm a freak. So um, I think I'm just a bit controlling. Like, I just like to know everything that's going on. I don't know what it is, but I just like it. I also was very practical in that sense. Like, we didn't know how our business was going to do. I needed Daddy-O to go out and be fully functional and bring home a good paycheck. I was spending $40,000 a year in therapy for my child with autism. I had two other kids. I was working in a basement at a business I didn't know would succeed. I had given up a, you know, lawyer's salary. So if I had to get up in the night, if I had to deal with sick kids, if I had to do all those things, I was more than happy to do it because I wanted to send him off in tip-top form to go and get the promotions. And, and he did. And he did. And he became a partner at a big firm and, you know, was able to support us very well financially and emotionally through all of that. So yeah, I picked up a lot of stuff. That was my role. But eventually my business did well too. So there was there was that as well. So that was great. And then I, by the time my fifth kid turned one, three kids too late, I got a full-time nanny. Okay. Again, three kids too late. Like honestly, if you learn anything from me, get the help now. It's not worth it. Do not be the martyr. You know, like I was just doing too much. I was uh, for years, Renee, I was, I would get three hours sleep, get up and feed a baby, get two hours sleep total. But that was kind of my superpower too. I could get away with very little sleep. I, I couldn't do that now. I couldn't do that now. Now I'm just like, nope. It's a good example of like your family was in that specific situation. Like here were the family goals and you know, everyone played their role and you made it work to be able to do what you wanted to do. And that's like, you know, there's no one model that fits every family, right? I mean, you have, you know, your partner has a big job, so you need to pick up a lot of the slack there, but then you're like, okay, but actually my career, my business is growing too. So what kind of supports can I put in place so that I can mend? Like you have to adapt, right? And you probably didn't know two years ago what that was going to look like, but you have to be flexible. You have to adapt. You have to do what works for your family. And there's no one size fits all. And at the time, of course, I had the unique experience of having you know, to, to fund this child's, pro, like my child, if Mac never had autism, I don't know what it would have looked like, but we had to tailor our needs to suit, you know, and I, and I am very proud to say that this kid now is 23 and he just graduated from university. He's currently, he's out in Australia with his sister and he's apparently, I just saw on uh, Instagram that he's 
doing a like week long hike in the outback or something oh starting my right God. now. <laughs> so, wow. I, you know, it was it was all worth it. A lot of my listeners have young children. And so I was thinking about things that I could ask you today. And one thing that I think would be extremely valuable is if somebody is in the position right now where their young child has received a diagnosis of autism, what would you say to them? Ah, that's a really, really great question. So I'd say to them, you know, the kid you had before the diagnosis is the exact same adorable, lovely child that you adore after the assessment. But, you know, things have changed. And I think, you know, for me, I had, my sister described it as I had five minutes of denial, you know, because I, you know, people said, oh, maybe it's just like semantic pragmatic disorder. And I was like, I don't think that's it. Or maybe it's just a speech delay. I'm like, I don't think that. And then as soon as I got the autism diagnosis, I was like, you know what? Maybe it was semantic pragmatic disorder. That is my diagnosis. And I did that for about five minutes. And then, and then I had, I had a couple of days of grieving where, I, I mean, I was just worried. I was like, what does this mean for his future? I don't have a crystal ball. And quite frankly, I love my children. I love having six of them, but I want to be an empty nester. And, you know, I, as a parent of a child who's neurodiverse or special needs, you always wonder, are they going to leave the nest? And, you know, as much as we love our children, we want them gone eventually. We want them to be taxpayers. We want them to, to fly. We want to give them roots and wings and them, them to go. So I, I worried about that. I wondered what that meant for my future. I wondered about the future of his siblings. And in a way, it's not why I had so many kids, but it was kind of a little benefit. I thought, you know, not knowing what his future looked like, I thought there were lots of hands to share. There were lots of people that could share, you know, the responsibility of having a brother who's neurodiverse. Again, that wasn't the reason I had them, but it would, it would have been a lovely benefit. In the end, I didn't you know, need any of that. He's, you know, he's raised to be an independent fellow, but, but those were the things that were going through my mind. And that's why I went through grief. And I think it's okay to grieve. But then after that grief, I just went into action. And, you know, I think the best thing you can do if, I mean, it's such a hard system to navigate, but try to find the resources, talk to other parents. They are going to be your best. There are so many groups on Facebook. There are so many groups out there now. When I got this diagnosis 20 years ago, this was before social media. This was before I was going to like Autism Ontario parent support groups one Monday night a month. And, you know, that was that was what we got for support. So now there are a lot more resources out there. It's also a lot more common now, which is another curious thing. And a lot more kids getting diagnosed and a lot more cases of it. So there's a little more attention. So I would say check your resources, talk to other parents, access those resources, advocate. You go into that school, you go wherever you have to go and get the best best for your kid and get on the waiting list for services. And in the meantime, if you can afford it, get some private therapy because you pay now or you pay later. I mean, beg, borrow, steal. If you're a parent, if you can remortgage the house, I mean, people would be like, don't tell people to remortgage the house. I'm like, that's what I would have done. Honestly, like get the help now. If your parents have money and want to contribute, do all the training. Everybody in my family, all the grandparents had to get trained. They had to know what was on Mac's program. They had to know what skills we were working on. So when they were spending time with him, they knew what to, to tap into and what to work on. It was like, I was hardcore. It was hardcore. How do you think his diagnosis and 
like growing up with all his siblings, how do you think it affected his siblings? Right. Okay. So first of all, how it affected him. Okay. So it was incredibly beneficial for him because, I mean, he had these, like, I had like Posey, then Spencer, and then Jessamy. So he had these kids who were just pulling him into imaginative play all the time, which is a deficit. He was socialized constantly. I mean, he had bath time with his sisters. He had he had shared a bedroom. He like everything. He was engaged with with peers constantly, and so that really helped with his language. So there were a lot of benefits for him in that they they just touched on those deficits all the time. Also, it was a benefit for me because I couldn't let him off the hook. Like if everybody had little chores, if everybody had to clear their plates, it didn't allow me to spoil him or to be like, oh, well, I'll just cut him some slack because he has autism. Like it was like, Matt, you got to clear your plate. Everybody else is clearing their plate. You got to clear your plate, you know? And I've, you know, I've seen that with friends in the community and, you know, like I've got, you know, like friends with kids with Down syndrome or kids with autism and I'm like, you're doing too much for them because now you're going to have a kid with Down syndrome and a spoiled brat. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody needs that, right? So it didn't allow me to have set expectations. And a lot of those expectations matched what I had for his siblings. So that was good, good for me. I think for his siblings, they're incredibly accepting, empathetic, caring. They're the kids who are inclusive and help people out and they you know don't bully and aren't aren't bystanders and speak up and are and and that and that goes to all issues like they're super woke you know they call me out on stuff they'll be like ma we don't say that anymore for these reasons I'm like oh excellent thank you I'm getting educated constantly and it was actually super cute because they were like little therapists I remember we moved into a new house and I never, I never fed Mac the answer. So, and, and leaving, you learn these techniques. So I wouldn't say to him when he came home from kindergarten, who did you play with at recess? Because he couldn't retrieve. So I'd say, did you play with Johnny or did you play with Sarah at recess? And he'd say, oh, Sarah. I'd be like, did you play? So I'd give him and or, you know, this, the siblings caught on to that. And I remember once I said, Mac, I was going to feed a baby. I'm like, Mac, I need you to grab a spoon from the cabinet. And he went in the kitchen. He had no idea where it was. Posey ran into the kitchen. She was, Mac, do you think the spoon's in this drawer? Or do you think the spoon's in this drawer? And he's like, oh, this drawer. And I thought it was so funny that they also, like, learned some of the strategies and techniques that I was using. Just, you know, kids, they're like, you know, they and they learned from observation. That was something that Mac didn't do, right? His observational learning skills weren't that great. So I would have to explicitly be like, here's the garbage can, whereas the other kids would just know where it is because they've seen me use it, right? So so there were so many interesting little things. So, I mean, there were, there were so many beautiful benefits for our family, you know, and also with his autism diagnosis, it brought us into a really amazing community that's been a big part of our lives. Do your kids, now obviously they're older, like you started this business, it's so successful. You're on TV all the time. Do they think what you do is cool? Like, what are their thoughts? And do they know that you left like a career in law? Like they yeah. understand that? Yeah, look, for my kids, I mean, I, you know, they just, they've been, you know, involved in, they've been, you know, raised around Mabel's Labels, right? Like they'll work there in the summers and they know that I'm off to Mabel's Labels. The one was, the funny one was Mac was, 
you know, one time one of the kids was saying, mom, when you started Mavis Labels, he's like, and this was like literally not that long ago, like a few years ago. And we were like, leave it to Matt. He's like, oh, I didn't know you started it. I knew you worked there. And Posey's like, where have you been for the last 15 years? Like, dude, how asleep at the wheel are you? So we're like classic back. And so sometimes we do see the autism still, you know, just things like that. But, you know, it's just been a big part of their lives. And, you know, they'll laugh because it's just been, you know, if media comes to the house, I've got some kids will be like, sure, mom, I'll do a segment. And some kids are like, yeah, no, I don't feel like doing it or no, I don't want to do an interview or whatever. And sometimes when I need them to, you know, I don't mind saying, look, like most of the time they don't have to do things they don't want to do. But once in a while, I don't mind being like, do you guys like having a cottage? Do you guys (laughs) like having this pool and, you know, going to Australia to visit Oma? Because I might need your help because this is my J-O-B. So I actually have no problem, you know, like I, it's not constant or whatever. But once in a while, I'm like, dudes, you, you know, I help you out. You need to help me out. Buck up and get in front of the camera for 30 seconds in the background. You know, I have absolutely no problem doing that. So if any, you know, I hope you don't either. Like, guys, it's, <laughs> this is a, you know, it's a family thing. But of course, I don't, I mean, I, day to day, it's not a, not a thing. But they like to laugh that I'm like a D-list celebrity. They mostly just think I'm like a teen mom, like everybody else's teen mom. And it's more their friends who are like, your mom's cool. And they're like, yeah, I know she's not, right? Yeah. But they're cute. Like one of Jessamy's friends had done a project about high school about a woman she admires for her project. And she did me. And like, that's kind of cute. Or I'll like, I'll get invited to speak at career day. And I think they're a little bit proud of that. They're like, don't embarrass us. But they're teens, but they're good teens. So I've, I've gotten pretty good. Before we started recording, you had mentioned that one of your kids still doesn't have a cell phone. I guess they're 13. I'm so curious because Milo's four. So obviously I don't have to worry about this for a while, but I do think about it a lot. And it's probably because I spend so much time on social media and like, that's what I do. I can see the good, but I can also see the bad. And how do you navigate that? Or how did you navigate cell phones, social media, the internet with your kids? So I probably like gotten a little more slack with the younger ones than I was with the older ones. I mean, Posey even said one day, she's like, Ma, you've been asleep at the wheel for the last three. You were great with us, but they get away with, but of course the older ones think the younger ones get away with everything. The younger ones don't think so. And they think the older ones had, you know, it's always the way, right? But generally as a rule, it was when they start high school, when they graduate from grade eight, they can get a phone if they can afford it. That, that's been kind of how it is. I don't, like, I'm not that mom who does, like, tracking devices or anything like that. Like, I don't really want to know where they are all the time. I think it's very important for teens to do things without being watched. Like, that's how you learn and you problem solve. And, you know, I think that's that's a good thing. Like, they know if they get in a big trouble or anything really happens, they'll call me and we'll figure it out. It's no big deal. But... You know, I don't need to know, like, ooh, they're at the graveyard at 10 o'clock on a Friday night hanging out with their friends playing hide-and-seek or maybe drinking or I don't know what. Like, that's what teenagers do, right? Like, that's how they learn. And I want them I want them to be able to problem-solve stuff now because otherwise I might be problem-solving their stuff forever. Today's problem-solvers are tomorrow's leaders, so they need the practice. I don't want 30-year-olds asking me to solve all their problems for them. And... And I kind of feel that way with little ones too. Like I don't want, you know, if you have a kid in grade six and they got a cell phone and they're on a bike ride and they fall, 
Like, they're going to call you and pick them up. I'd rather they, you know, their brother throws them over the shoulder and carries them up the hill and dumps on the couch or knocks on a neighbor's door and says, my brother fell, can we use your phone to call my mom? I don't want to be the person to solve every problem for them. I want them to rely on friendly strangers. Once Posey and Spencer were off skiing alone, and they were probably eight and ten, one of them had a bad fall, and the other one did what, you know, found a friendly stranger, a mom, can you stay with my sister? And then went and found a ski patrol and then skied to the chalet and found us. And, you know, so they they learned to problem solve that stuff instead of calling me from some random hill and saying, mom, I'm on this hill and so-and-so fell down. Like, I just, I want them to figure that stuff out. So, you know, people say, well, I need a phone. They need a phone in case of an emergency. And I see what those emergencies are. It's like, can you pick me up the mall like 15 minutes later or... You know, chance. I forgot my running shoes. Yeah, come, come, <laughs> come, bring me this. Come bring me that. Or can I come home late later? Like those aren't emergencies. Like you can figure that stuff out. Like really, if there's emergency, you'll get found. <laughs> like you'll get found. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner... I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. I always think about, because I grew up without a cell phone, without social media, and I remember because I lived in Sudbury, I used to have tournaments like volleyball tournaments and whatnot when I was like 18, 17 in Toronto. So like I would look at the directions before I left my house and be like, okay, this is, you know, the 400 all the way down exit here. 
And then if you got turned around or took a wrong turn, I would literally have to stop at a gas station and ask the guy, like, how do I get back on the 400? <laughs> totally. That's what we did. We stopped at gas stations. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And nowadays, I'm sure people would be like, yeah. But that's crazy. I know. I don't remember the yeah. triptychs. Like, if you did a big trip, your family would go to the CAA, get the triptych. You'd have to flip it over. To, oh, we're at the map. end of the map. We got to get to the next map. Oh, I have yeah. to say, it's been brilliant. And as I do really love that my kids, if they are driving somewhere, that they can go on Google Maps. And I'm just like, I can fall asleep. They're, they're like, I'm driving to King. I'm going to Queens to visit friends. I'm like, okay, good. I just... It's, it's, it is it's an incredible peace of mind. The maps, you know, they're not like... So handy. I remember being like lost in Detroit when I was young. Like, oh my gosh, I ended up in the sketchy neighborhood in Chicago when I got turned around. Like, yeah, so funny. <laughs> Thank you, Google Maps. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it is, I mean, things, things have changed. I think parents, again, have to do what they're comfortable with. There's no, you know, hard and fast rules around it. You know, I just actually sat down. I do have a 13-year-old who loves video games and loves a VR headset, loves, loves, loves. And, you know, I, I just sat down with him the other day and actually read a study with an article with him about how, you know, the, the impact of screen time. And he does have, he's a neurodiverse guy. He's ADD and ADHD. And the impact of screen time is actually, you know, even harder on these kids and, and more impactful. So we had a conversation around that. And, you know, now we've decided he's going to, in his little agenda, write down, down what time he goes on his laptop to play Minecraft and then what time he logs off just to make sure that we're, we're keeping a handle on it. And I find like when you can pull them into the conversation and let them self-regulate, it, it, it makes a big difference because they, they, they own it. I just want to point out, instead of speaking to him and telling him what to do without any explanation... Like, you spend way too much time on this video game. Like, this is ridiculous. You know, that's it. You're only using a half hour. It's like, look at this research I found. Let's talk about this. Like, maybe we can start keeping track and you can see, like, when I use screen time this much, how do I feel? Or, like, involving them in their lives instead of just, like, dictating what to do. And then it's not coming from me. I'm not being the mean mom cutting him off. I'm, like, the mom who loves you. And wants you to do well and wants you to be healthy and feel good and 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 be your best self. So, oh, let's look at this and what what are the takeaways? What do you think? You know? And you're absolutely right, Renee. Like, especially I think with teenagers, involving them in the conversation. It, it's funny too, because I'm on this like teens Facebook group and somebody posted, What's your teenager's curfew? And all these people are saying what the curfews are. I'm like, well, I don't even use that kind of language. Like, why don't you just be like, well, what time do you think you're coming home tonight? And they'll say something reasonable. And you're like, great. Okay, we'll see you then. Or be flexible. Like, oh, well, we're going to a movie that happens to end at 1130. So tonight, is it okay if I come home at midnight? Yeah, that's fine. Don't, why would you have a steadfast, like a, this is your curfew. And if you don't get in, you're grounded. Like, I've never grounded a kid. I don't think I've even really punished a kid. Like, if they do, if they mess up, we talk about it. They learn. And we move on. Like, why would people ground a kid? You want your kid to stay home all the time? Like, well, that makes no sense to me. Get out, do something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're not learning anything like sitting at home. Yeah, I love that. You know, the other thing I think is really important when you have teens is like just trying to be that safe space so that they don't lie to you. You know, sometimes if a kid like the youngest one fibs a little bit and he drives the other siblings crazy, I'm like, he fibs to you guys because he doesn't feel safe to tell you the truth because you guys will jump all over him. So make it a safe place for him to tell the truth. 
And I think, so like, I always think about that. If one of them, you know, isn't completely honest with me, like, can I reflect on why that is? Like, what can I do to make that? Yes. Whenever people ask, like, what's your favorite thing about being a mom? It's always that I'm Milo's safe space. Lovely. Like, that just feels so nice, right? And he's only four. Like, my husband is, too. He's obsessed with my husband. Like, obsessed. It's so... It's kind of nice because, like, my husband's at work often, so I'll do everything, and it's fine. But if I'm not here, my husband, like does everything it's totally fine but when we're both home because we always do bedtime routine together Milo like especially because I was away last week I'm like oh mommy will take you to bed and read you a book like I'm trying to give my husband a break here and Milo's like no I want daddy I want daddy like he loves my husband you know what it's cute because my niece is like that and she'll say and they take turns so my sister does it one night and then her husband does it the next night so if 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 she does like well I want daddy mom it's my turn I get to take you in tonight okay (laughs) so cute yeah my husband's always like why am I the chosen one I'm like I don't know (laughs) but I kind of like it (laughs) honestly I always laugh when parents are like I'm so jealous my child likes my husband more I'm like I would be so okay with that. I'm like, you got friends who like you. You don't need your three-year-old being like, being like, I love you the best. I'm like, go with it. Because what's the alternative? Exactly. Like, I don't do want all the to. work. <laughs> I can, and I can leave home and have zero, zero issue. Like, I can leave for like a few days. Like, I know Milo is so happy just being here with his dad, like, and vice versa. So it's kind of awesome. That's amazing. I did not have that. No, because you were the default yeah. parent. You loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did until I had to go away. I remember my mom, like, I never bride kids, but I had one, my one daughter hated when I went away. And I didn't go away that much when they were younger, but, you know, mom 2.0 or, like, conferences, whatever. And my mom would come up every day and give her a $5 bill if she was a brave girl while mom has gone. I'm like, hey, if Nan wants to bribe her, I'm okay with that. It's not something we do, but... You yeah, know, grandma go for Sometimes it. you got to just yeah. do what you got to do. Yeah, yeah. so funny. For sure. I forgot about that. So <laughs> the last question I'll ask you, your kids are older for the most part. They're not, you know, under 10. What would you say was the hardest stage to parent and why? They're all just so different. I mean, from a, like, physical exhaustion state, like, certainly. I mean, my kids, I had my fifth kid when my oldest was six. And then I had my big two-year gap and had one more. I had six C-sections, so that was tough. Like, I would come home and, you know, it was very physically demanding. So from that standpoint, that, of course, was very, you know, very trying and very, very difficult. But also, like, you know, when they got to the age where they were involved in everything, it was like, I had six in hockey. I remember my Saturdays were like... kids were in dance they were in hockey they were in oh my gosh so I was running around like crazy I remember feeling like I should just have a bed at the hockey arena so those were really busy 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 times right like when they're all in like school like in grade school and you know they all their activities and stuff and then high school can be tough too because you know you've got a lot of emotions again my high school is a great like a lot of parents deal with mental health stuff then especially through COVID it's been really hard on these kids I just think that with every stage, there's so much fun and and there's different challenges. And I don't have a favorite age or stage. I thought I was a baby guy. I thought I was a baby guy. And then I was like, I thought I wouldn't like having teenagers. I love having teenagers. I love the energy. I love 
their opinions. I love a house like tonight. My 17-year-old my is hosting a birthday party and all their friends are coming over and I'll have to stay upstairs. I love that too and it'll be a mess tomorrow. I'm fine with it. I like being the house that they come to. So I've loved, and I, you know, three, when you drop them off at university, it's the weirdest feeling ever. And it's really weird. Like you watch them walk away and you're like, what is going on? Like they're just not in your they're house anymore. They're just not in yours. That is, that messes with your head for sure. But then you get used to that too. And then they come home, you're like, I'm ready for them to go back. Because you, yeah. you adapt, <laughs> right? Kids grow up and leave for a reason. They grow up and leave for a reason. So yeah, I just, I, I've loved, and, and I will say, because your listeners, I know it feels like it's going to be like this forever. It's not just... You know, it is hard. I get it. But try to find the joy in the little things because you are going to blink. And I know everyone says that. And you're going to be like, oh, this whole season, mom. But you're not. Yeah, just just enjoy. I gave this speech to my husband last night because Milo was like on top of him during bedtime routine. And my husband was like, because we're going away for a week to a resort. And my husband's like, this is going to be us in bed for five (laughs) nights in a row. Like Milo just like bear hugging my husband. And I'm like, you just wait. There's going to be a day where he doesn't want to hang out with us. He's going to be embarrassed to like, you know, give you a hug in front of his friends. And 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 we're going to miss that part of it. So I'm always mindful of that. And I was like that even like that, honestly, the hockey. I remember it was like my fifth time at the arena one day or something ridiculous. And I'm like, I will not complain because one day I'm going to have a Saturday and wish I was at the hockey arena cheering on. And I say this, like my youngest daughter is in grade 12 now and I'm the trainer on her team. I'm on the bench. This weekend is our last hockey tournament of her life. Like when we finish up in March, the season, that is the last time I'm going to be on the trainer, like on the bench as a trainer for one of my daughters. And that went fast. And that that was special time. And that was really fun. And it's going to be over. So I never, you know, I just never say, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Like it just. Even like driving Milo to school, I really enjoy it. It's like our little time. And then I get to bring him to his teachers. It's just nice to like see the kids and everything. And then. This morning, he he always tries to tell me where to park. He's like, mommy, there's a spot right <laughs> here. Hilarious. And I'm like, how about this? I'm like, how about this, Milo? I'm like, how about when you drive yourself <laughs> to school, you can decide where to park. And I'm like, how old do you think you have to be before you can start driving yourself to school? And he's like, uh, five? <laughs> <laughs> he's ready now. I think that's hilarious. Yeah. He'll find you a parking spot. Oh, yeah, because he always wants me to park on, like, the other side of the school. But then if there's no spot, it's a one-way, so then you're screwed. So I'm always, like, hesitant. And he's like, no, Mommy, park there. There's a spot there. I'm like, oh, my God, you're four. I love it. He's four. Look out, Mama. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so to finish off, can you tell us about your book, where people can find it, and where they can find you online? Okay, so of course, our website at Mabel's Labels is mabelslabels.com. You can find all my information at mabelslabels.com slash Julie Cole. And my book, yes, my book is called Like a Mother, Birthing Businesses, Babies, and a Life Beyond Labels. And that is all, it's so full of like life hacks, mom hacks, all that good jazz. I hope you can pick it up on Amazon. If you, you know, it's any of your favorite booksellers, just hop online and you can grab it there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. This was so fun. Oh, I have loved being here. What a fun chat. And yeah, maybe next time you see me, I won't look like this. 
Oh. Yeah, we'll have a redo. Yeah, exactly. We'll have a redo. We'll we'll get all like dressed yeah. up and yeah. Are you looking for a podcast that'll make you laugh? You came to the wrong place. That's not us. That's not us. Well, it is. We are a husband and wife who chat about raw, real relationship yeah, topics. like sex. Like money. Like marriage and kids. But we're not afraid to talk about how your newborn baby probably isn't as cute as you think it is. If you're in need of entertainment while you're driving to work, because that sucks, we can join you in the suckage, kind of like being in your ear. Not physically. So if you want to laugh, come check us come out. Come check us out. Brought to you by the Laughing Couple Podcast. Ha <laughs> ha